If you're here with us last week, um, you know that we, uh, two things. One, we began a series through the book of 2 Peter uh, called Stand. And so we'll be continuing that today. And then also you learned last week, if you were here, that I'm a huge fan of the paper mache volcano. Uh, if you're not here last week, you have no idea what that means. Here's all you need to know, that the person sitting next to you is actually a spiritual volcano disguised as a human being. And so just as a reminder of that truth, would you turn to the person next to you and say, boom. Right? We learned that last week and it was a great truth to learn. And we talked about growing in our confidence in Jesus that everything we need, we have in him. And this morning we're going to continue in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. We're going to talk about growing in our confidence uh, in the word of God. And uh, he just lays out a mountain truth here at the end of uh, chapter 1. But last week, in order to set up the conversation about asking the question, is Jesus sufficient or do we need something else? Uh, we didn't take time to set up the whole series, which anytime we teach through a whole book, we always set the context for that book. Now, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, uh, I want to uh, share with you why. And I understand this. A lot of times when, pe- when you're preaching, what people are interested in is the application. And they're not so interested in the ingredients and like what all went to that. Just give me dessert and just show me like how does this help me. But here's why we say this over and over and again. This is, I feel like I say this often, but I want you to understand this. You cannot get the right interpretation apart from understanding the context. And if you can't get the right interpretation, then the application, which is what you really love, is going to be flawed. And so if you want to understand, like, how do I apply that? You have to first ask, what does it mean? And before you can answer, what does it mean? You have to understand the context. Why is he writing? Who's he writing to? All those kinds of things. And so, uh, so as you're turning there in chapter 1, let me give you a little context regarding the book of Second Peter, or uh, if you're a Trump fan, 2 Peter. So uh, since the time of writing and sending his first uh, letter, uh, Peter had become increasingly concerned that false teachers... Uh, we're infiltrating the church in Asia Minor. Now, the problem is this. When we, uh, in a Bible teaching church, in a Baptist church, when you talk about false teachers, people go, that's right. Those Lutherans, those Methodists, like, right? Like, that's what we think. No, he's talking about people who are perverting the whole gospel. And so they were infiltrating the church uh, there in Asia Minor that he had so much influence in. And problem is they were uh, false teaching, and it was new, and it was exciting, and, and they claimed to have new words from God or new insight in the Scripture. And any time that people hear the word exciting, they flock to it. The problem is this. Not everything that's exciting is true. And so they began to get deceived uh, through this, and they had these immoral lifestyles and claimed to be speaking from God, and so they were enticing lots of people. So Peter here is writing pretty much on his deathbed. And the reason I know that is because in verses 13 through verse 15 uh, in chapter 1, he talks about this tent that he's dwelling in and that soon this tent will be folded up, and he's describing uh, his earthly bodies, uh, his earthly tabernacle or his tent uh, is about coming to an end there. And so he said, hey, listen, these are some of my final words. And if there's anything I can speak to on my deathbed, it's to stand for the faith. It's to stand for sound doctrine. Do not be deceived by what is new and what is exciting. And so that's why we've titled the entire series called Stand. Uh, Stand firm in the truth that Jesus is enough. Last week, this week, stand firm in the fact uh, that the word of God is sufficient and are the very words from God uh, because we have reality as we have a culture where everything is leaning against standing on the word of God. So if that is a relevant truth for today, would you say amen? 
So the call here is for Christians to stand up with confidence and not get sidetracked by poor theology. Now, I've been doing this long enough to know that for some of you, when you hear the word theology, uh, that, that's a boring word, right? And you're not interested in theology. That sounds complicated. You're just like, like, help me live, help me tomorrow, help my marriage, my kids, my, you know, all that kind of stuff. But here's the reality why we have to teach good theology. It's because the Bible teaches and we agree with that right thinking, right theology, sound doctrine, whatever you want to think about, right thinking leads to right living. Because whatever you truly believe, not, not what you say you believe, not what you say amen to, not what you agree with about when in a Bible study, listen, what you truly believe at the heart of hearts is how you will live out of that. That's what the Bible says in Proverbs. As a man thinks, so he is. And so if your theology is off, then guess what? Your life is going to be off. There are going to be some things that are disconnected from the truth of God's word. And so right thinking leads to right living. The word knowledge appears 16 times in three short chapters. 16 times the word knowledge is uh, talked about. And so Peter's solution is not to go out and, and learn every kind of false teaching. Well, some of the best advice I got as a young Christian was this. I was wanting to know about other faiths and other you know, religions. And, and a guy told me this. This was such good counsel. I didn't appreciate it at the time. He said, instead of going out and trying to learn what everybody else believes, you need to uh, come to a better understanding of what you believe. And the hope of being grounded is understanding what you believe so that when someone else brings a new truth, you can compare that to the truth that you learned. And it was fascinating advice. It was such good advice. And so Peter's solution uh, to not being deceived by new and exciting false teaching is to stand firm in what you already know, reminding them of the truth. All right? So that's the context of 2 Peter. That's why I've titled this whole thing, Stand. Uh, and so let's get into the text this morning. Uh, we're going to look at verse 12 down through verse 21, the second half of chapter 1 this morning. Verse 12 starts off, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, uh, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, and again, that's just a, a metaphor of his earthly body, his earthly tabernacle, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that surely I must put off this tent. In other words, I'm dying. Just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Uh, verse 16, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's referring there to the transfiguration where they saw Jesus transfigured uh, on the mount. For he received from God the Father honor and glory uh, when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Again, that's a reference to the transfiguration. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so last week I told you that the first half of chapter 1 contained an incredibly important doctrine called the sufficiency of Christ, meaning that Jesus is enough, not, not just for life after death, but life before death. <clears throat> that, that God uh, meets us and Christ meets us and the gospel meets us for the everyday challenges of life. And so that is an incredibly foundational truth. And in the second half, of chapter 1, he's going to lay out an equally important, I mean a foundational mountain. 
Now, so what we're going to teach you today is going to be a little heavy on the theology side, but stick with me because uh, your understanding of this will change how you actually live out of the truth of God's word and whether you do or not. And so uh, what he's going to talk about in the second half of chapter one is the doctrine known as the inspiration of scripture. And the inspiration, the word inspired literally means God breathed. God breathed is exactly uh, what that means. And the fact is this morning, <clears throat> no matter what background you come from, is you have one of three views when it comes to the Bible. Uh, for some of you, you're just here and you're not a Christian. You're checking this thing out and someone made you feel guilty you know, to come here and say so you showed up, but you're not totally sure you believe all this. And again, we're glad you're here. Skeptics are welcome. But you would probably hold to the view that says uh, the Bible is a book written by men. Uh, if you've ever thought that, or uh, more honestly, if you've ever encountered someone who said, you know what, the Bible's just a book written by men. Would you raise your hand like if you've heard that before? Yeah, lots of us have heard that before. And so that's one view. The other view is that the Bible contains the words of God, some of the very literal words of God, but then also mixed in there is a lot of symbolism and a lot of you know, good moral principles, kind of moral stories. A lot of it's not literal. It's symbolic or allegorical in interpretation. And so some of you may be here and you would hold to that. And, and you don't understand why some people get so fanatical about the Bible in certain parts and they're taking it a little too serious because you think some of it's meant to be taken that way and some of it is totally symbolic. <clears throat> and the third group is you're here and you would say this. <clears throat> you would say uh, that I believe this to be the very words of God. That, that, that God spoke and it was recorded for us through these words and this is the very word of God. Now, I made a statement earlier and what I said is that right thinking leads to right living. So, so how do those three positions play out? If you think the Bible's written by men, like you, you're not super uh, bound by what it says. You, you're just gonna, you're gonna do whatever because at the end of the day, uh, the Bible doesn't have any authority. And so that belief or that thinking leads to how you live. If you think that the Bible contains the word of God, but then some of it's just kind of moral teaching or stories and it's symbolic, then you're gonna be a little selective. Like at some points, you're going to say, hey, this is truth, this is literal, I'm going to do this because the Bible says this. At other points, you're going to say, you know what, that was meant to be symbolic, people shouldn't take that totally serious, and so you're going to be a little selective on what you live out of, and then what you kind of just kind of, well, not totally sure. By the way, I've noticed this, uh, my experience is that the places when people hold that view, the places they view as optional are viewpoints they disagree with. Have you noticed that? Like, like, I totally believe this, and the Bible says this. But then when it comes to, you know, some other thing, they don't totally agree with it. They're like, well, that's just kind of symbolic. And let's not get, get nuts here, right? But if you believe that this is the very word of God, then you believe it has authority. And now it's no longer offering moral uh, lessons. It's offering wisdom. It's no longer offering suggestions. It's offering to you the very counsel of God. It's as if you're saying, hey, God, what do you want me to do? And God says, I've already told you. And so you live your life based out of that truth because right thinking or how you think determines how you live. And so in the second half of uh, chapter one, Peter's reminding them some things they already know uh, over and over just say listen i'm just reminding you this false teachers are creeping in and and here's the reality uh, let me tell you how false teaching happens no one's getting up and saying by the way everything that i'm teaching is totally contrary to the bible who wants to follow me it's the old adage that satan is not showing up in a red suit and a pitchfork that most of the time what happens is someone comes along and it goes something like this. Hey, God's given me a special prophetic word. Wouldn't you like to know? Well, yeah. 
Or I've been studying the Bible and I've came across this new insight where, where people have been you know, studying the scriptures for thousands of years, but I've got this new insight. There's a Bible code that I've discovered hidden and it sells millions of copies. And so Peter just said, hey, listen, um, I'm just going to, I never came to you with this clever, like, look, look at this new kind of thing. Look at verse 16. Matter of fact, he speaks this directly. Look at verse 16. It says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. In other words, we, we, it was not some clever, hey, this is new, this is exciting, you're not going to believe this, I discovered this, I've got a word of knowledge, I've got some new revelations. No, 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 we just came to you and preached Christ crucified. We just came to you and preached the gospel uh, in power. And we live in a culture where new is exciting, and, and that is very dangerous. How, how many of you remember, and I'm not saying what was contained in here was a bad thing, I'm just illustrating a point. How many of you remember the phenomena when the prayer of Jabez came out? Do you, you guys remember that? Like the, the, Those aren't bad things to pray for, but it was almost, for some folks, as if some mystery had been hidden, had now been revealed, and people flocked to it. It sold millions of copies. Millions, and that's how false teaching can creep in. And I'm just going to be as honest with I can, uh, as I can with you. There are times where uh, if you're a pastor preaching in a church week after week to the same people, you know, kind of listening to you, those kind of things, there are times thinking, I'm just saying the same stuff over and over. You know, you know what the temptation is? Uh, the temptation is not, never to leave ministry. For me, the temptation is, you know what? I've got at least five good sermons I'm going to get a bus, and I'm going to be an evangelist. I'm just going to preach those five sermons to different people. Every night. I'm going to take Kyle with me. I tell him all the time, Kyle, you're my dancing chicken. He's like, I am not. And we're going to hit the road. Because sometimes you just wonder, like, I just feel like I'm teaching the same, you know, a different way, but kind of things. And uh, so this week in my prep, I was reading a, a Bible study that was written on this by John MacArthur, written on Second Peter. And he talked about his own discouragement with this idea. Uh, here, here's what he said. He said, in the summer of 1980, so uh, I was just uh, four years old at that time, he said, I took a three-month sabbatical from Grace Community Church. During that time, I received no new revelation, nor did I discover any new truth that will instantly change people's lives. He said, but I did learn something important. The Christian experience is not a matter of what's new and exciting, but remembering what's old. He said, I left Grace that summer with some anxiety. It was my 12th year there, and for the first time, I was thinking about going somewhere else. I'd been asking myself, how could I keep speaking the same thing to the same people? I thought I had to be more creative or go to another church where I could draw from my old sermons. He said, so I went on a sabbatical thinking that the Lord would open up some new opportunities. He said, I read scripture voraciously, trying to see something new, but everything I read sounded like the same message from God, only in different words. But the Lord drove me to 2 Peter chapter 1, the very chapter we're in. And through this chapter, the Lord confirmed that novelty is not my calling. He wants me to teach his word, and his word is not new. It's old, but it's very fresh and very, very powerful. Amen. You ever notice how often the Bible repeat, repeats truth in different formats? Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5 repeats the giving of the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20. 
First uh, and Second Chronicles covers much of the same history as First and Second Kings and First and Second Samuel. The Old Testament prophets preached a similar message of judgment, no matter who they were preaching to and who that prophet was. Uh, the Gospel, New Testament, starts off with three Gospels that are very similar in the content uh, they contain. Jesus repeated messages and parables. Romans and Galatians deal with similar themes. Ephesians and Colossians, similar themes. Jude and Second Peter, similar themes. Paul told the Philippians in chapter 3, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard to you. So what does that mean? That means that part of preaching and being a part of the fellowship of the body of Christ is coming in, and every now it's new, and I never saw that, I never knew that. That's a fresh way to illustrate or app, you know, application, those kind of things. But sometimes it's coming in and have, being reminded of the truth of God's Word so that when something new and exciting comes down the road and lots of people get swept up in it, you can stand firm and say, you know what? I've heard the truth over and over and over and over, and so therefore I can stand against what is not true. That's exactly what he's saying here. Look at verses 12 through 15 again. Note how many times he talks about reminding them of old truths. Uh, He said, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things that you know and are established in the truth. Yes, I think it's right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you knowing that surely I must put off this tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after uh, my decease. And so, so, so over and over again, say, listen, remember the truth. Remember the truth. I don't care who comes along. I don't care how many people get swept up in it. I don't care how new it seems. I don't care how exciting they are. I don't care if they claim to have a word from God that no one else has or discovered some mysterious Bible code. Keep reminding yourselves of the truth so that you can stand. It's exactly what he's saying here. And if there's any area of the Christian life where it is crucial to understand what we believe so that we can stand on it firmly. It is our view of the Bible. Think about this. When Satan deceived Adam and Eve in the garden, what did he doubt? He doubted the very words of God. He comes along and he says, hey, if you eat this, you'll you'll be like God's. And and Eve said, no, no, no. Uh, God said if you eat of this tree, uh, you know, we'll die. And what's what he say? You surely will not die. He doubted the very words of God. And any time Satan can cause us to doubt the word of God, he has won the battle in your life, even though he has lost the war in all of eternity. Now, some of you are getting worried because we're pretty far along and I haven't even gotten to the text. Some of you are excited we're going to be here for an hour. Amen. Let me comfort your anxious hearts this morning by letting you know we're just going to focus in on two verses, verse 20 and verse 21. I'm just going to make two points. At the end of this, you can decide if there's any point at all. But we're just going to focus on two things this morning, two truths regarding the Word of God and growing in our confidence in the Word of God so that we can stand on the Word of God when culture says not to. Two truths about the Bible. Number one, the Bible claims to be the very words of God. The Bible claims to be the very words of God. And so if you've heard, or maybe you're here, and if you were to honestly say, you know what, I think it's just a book written by men. As a matter of fact, the Bible never claims to be the word of God. Listen, quite the contrary. 
Over 3,000 times, directly or indirectly, in the Old and New Testament, the Bible claims to be speaking on behalf of God. And so you may be here and say, I don't agree with that. I don't believe that. I think it's a book written by men about God. But you cannot say with integrity that the Bible never claims to be the very words of God. Look at verse 21. What's he saying? For no prophecy came by the will of man. What does that mean? No one was sitting around going, you know what? I'm bored. And so I'm going to start writing a book about God. I'm going to start writing a book about how God interacts with humanity and all these kinds of things. He said, no, no, no prophecy came about that way. Uh, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved or prompted by the Holy Spirit. And so clearly it makes the reference that these are the very words of God over and over. Listen to these phrases in the Bible. I just had to cut this list down because there's so many verses. Listen to some of these truths in the Old Testament. The Spirit of the Lord has spoken to us. The Word of God came to me. The Word of God said. Isaiah, uh, the prophet in chapter 1 said this. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. New Testament has the same claims. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 reminds us of Scripture's inspiration. This is one of our memory verses. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable uh, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be made perfect or complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What does the word inspired mean in that verse? It means God breathed. In John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus told the Father, he said, Your word is truth. And so you may be here and say, listen, I think the Bible's a book written by men, but you cannot say with integrity that the Bible never claims to be the very words of God. What does the Bible say about itself? It says it is the very words of God. Now, that's the internal witness of the Bible. Some would call that, what's circular reasoning? You can't defend the Bible by quoting the Bible. You know, you can't do that. Let me give you an external witness about the divine inspiration of Scripture. There are over 300 fulfilled prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament. Let me just take one of them. Psalm 22. Psalm 22 was written hundreds of years before crucifixion was a method of execution. So the idea of crucifying someone uh, came along 200 years later than Psalm chapter 22. However, Psalm chapter 22 describes the taunts of Jesus' accusers while he's on the cross in verse 8. It describes the soldiers casting lots for his garments in verse 18. It describes uh, Jesus specifically that his grave would be assigned with wicked men in verse 9, the two thieves on the cross, and that he would be with a rich man in his death, in other words, buried in a tomb of a wealthy person. All of these plus many prophecies were fulfilled in the life of Christ. That's just one of them. Just one. Years ago, a math professor named Peter Stoner, which, by the way, if you're a professor and you're teaching uh, 20-somethings, what a great name, Professor. Amen? Professor Stoner. Like, I would ask questions just so I could say the name, Professor Stoner. Professor Stoner wrote a little book called Science Speaks. In it, he assigns probabilities to the number of biblical prophecies and calculates the odds that they could have been fulfilled by Christ by sheer chance. In one chapter, he takes eight prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. Remember, there are over 300 in the Old Testament. He takes eight prophecies, uh, and here's what he said. They said, how likely is that someone could have fulfilled all of those prophecies in one person? He said, the answer is uh, 10 to the 17th power. He said, how big is that? Here's what he said. 
He said if you took silver dollars and laid them over the face of Texas, they would cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep. He said, now wrap a man in a blindfold, mark one of those coins, go out, tell him you can grab one coin, and the likelihood that he would grab that one coin and pick it up is the same likelihood that Christ could have uh, fulfilled all of those eight prophecies. He said, if you just double that number to 16 prophecies, the odds increase to 1 times 10 to the 45th power, and that's only 16, and Christ fulfilled over 300 prophecies, according to the Old Testament. And so what does verse 21 mean? It means that what I'm holding in my hand are the very words of God. God breathed, inspired, not random. The people are moved along, carried by the Holy Spirit. And what God said is what they said. Just a little side note. If the Bible are the very words of God and God himself cannot lie, that means the Bible is also without error. And so what does that mean? That means I'm holding in my hand the very words of God. So practically speaking, some of you may be walking through some difficult circumstances. Some of you say, oh, if God were here, if I could just sit at the feet of the Father for just a moment and ask him and get wisdom from him, here's what I'm telling you. You can. You can. It says these are the very words of God, and because they're inspired, they have to be inerrant because God cannot lie. Second truth I want you to see is this, is there's only one right interpretation for every verse. One right interpretation for every verse. Peter's saying here, he said, you just can't interpret scripture however you want. You ever been in a Bible study? And someone reads a verse and they go around and they say, well, what, what, what do you think this verse means? What do you think this verse means? What do you think this verse means? Listen, it doesn't matter what the verse is. The answer is always the same. It means what the author intended. Now, there may be multiple applications of a verse, but the meaning is what the author intended. So you've got to dig and find out and study the context and all those kinds of things uh, to find out exactly what he's talking about. But you can't just twist the scripture for whatever your agenda is. And apparently, that's what these false teachers were doing. Look at verse 20. What does it say? Uh, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, I want it to mean this because it fits my agenda. It fits, you know, something I'm passionate about. So this way, he said, no, 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 it means what it says. It's not a private uh, interpretation. So, so what does that mean? What that means is this, as it relates to false teachers. That anytime you see someone get up and stand up and say, hey, listen, I've got a new word from God. I've discovered something about the Bible that no one's ever discovered. God's given me a new revelation. I've got private interpretation into the mind of God. Listen, that is not exciting. That is a warning flag. Because God has spoken finally and fully, according to the book of Hebrews. Here's what Hebrews 1 says. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now, in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. Uh, several years ago, uh, Tosh and I used to sing in a, in a group. and We traveled around, and uh, we never uh, sang in any big places that you would ever hear of. But we uh, traveled around, and someone uh, said, we want you to come and sing at this outdoor event and uh, we, we, God, has, God has spoken to us. God has given us a word of knowledge. There's going to be thousands of people there, and hundreds of people are going to be saved. And I was, you know, I just, I'm 20-something years old, this is great. This is great. And so I want you to know, we get there, there were more singers than listeners. More singers than listeners. And what does that mean? 
That means that person said, I've got a private interpretation. God's given me a special word. You know what that means? They had an agenda, and they wanted to put God's stamp on it so that people would respond to it. That's exactly how people get deceived. And thinking there's private uh, interpretation. Look at verse 21 again. Uh, For no prophecy came by the will of man. Listen to this. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means that people who don't know Christ can't understand the word of God. And uh, many times in a Baptist church, we, we, we don't fully understand uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan actually wrote a book called The Forgotten God, talking about the Holy Spirit. And we don't like to talk because it makes us nervous, right? That, that's what people get out of control and they start talking about the Spirit. But one of the functions of the Spirit is to reveal truth to us. And if, what that means is that if a person's not saved and they said, you know, I've, I've read the Bible, I've listened to people teach, but I just, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's never going to make sense apart from the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine a couple weeks ago. He's on staff at a church. And uh, he, said, uh, he said, years ago, we were making an evangelistic home visit uh, with, with my pastor. And he said, this guy didn't know Christ. And he said, we're there, uh, you know, making a visit. And he said, this guy said this. He said, you know, I've read the Bible, and it just doesn't make sense to me. In other words, he's giving testimony to what 2 Corinthians 4 just said. He said, I've read the Bible lots of times. It just doesn't make sense to me. But his pastor was not very seeker sensitive, so he, <laughs> he replied with, well, of course it doesn't. You're a pagan. I said, what happened after that? He said, we left very quickly. So what does all this mean? I know it's been heavy on doctrine. What does all this mean? It means that once you establish and settle in your hearts that this is the very words of God and there's only one meaning, then this will become not a book full of moral suggestions or good moral stories. This book will become the very words of life that you build the foundation of everything you do on. Now, you hear me say this a lot, but here's what this means. That means I no longer have the freedom to say this. I know what the Bible says, but. No, it says I know what the Bible says, and these are the very words of God, and so I'm going to build my life on them. It's as if God is speaking to me, so I'm going to stand with confidence on the word of God in a culture that, that's pressing in against me and a church that that's, you know, doesn't even know sometimes what they stand on. I'm going to stand on the word of God. Why? Because it's God speaking to us. And I'm going to live my life out of those truths. So practically, what does it look like? It means that when you're in deep weeds in your marriage, this is the wisdom that leads you out. It means when you don't know uh, what, what you should be doing as a parent, here's the source of wisdom. It means that when you work for an ungodly employer that you don't want to honor, you don't feel like deserves your honor, you do it anyway. Why? Because that's exactly what the Word of God says. It means that when you, you know, you don't know if you should forgive or not because they did this and they never said they're sorry and I don't think they're truly repentant. So, no, no, it means you forgive them. Seventy times seven, what does that mean? You just, it just over and over when they're truly broken and repentant. Well, I don't know. Listen, it means you live out of the truth of the Word of God in every area. 
means that when you sit down and you look at the money God's entrusted you with, you avoid debt. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. You give generously to the kingdom. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. You save money. The Bible says only a fool spends everything he gets. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. And there's no longer this disconnect going, well, I know the Bible says this, but in this area, I'm going to do this. No, no, you live and you stand on the confidence of the word of God. And when it comes to matters of eternity, when the Bible says there is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved, you believe it. And you respond to the truth of it. Would you bow your heads this morning? I wonder as our heads are bowed and our hearts are bowed before the Lord if the Holy Spirit has revealed to you by the preaching of the word of God some areas of your life that are disconnected from the truth of God's word wives aren't respecting their husbands husbands aren't loving their wife as Christ loved the church children not obeying their parents in the Lord fathers not refusing to provoke their children to wrath employees not doing everything for the glory of God I wonder if you would come to the place today and say you know what I'm going to do it God's way because I believe these are the very words of God just like Peter said And I'm going to live my life. Not, not, these aren't suggestions. I'm going to live my life based upon the scripture. And I'm going to close the gap in some area of my life between what God says and how I behave. I wonder if there's a person that would be honest before God this morning and say, that's me. I'm going to start doing things God's way in some area of my life. I'm not, I'm not justifying anymore. I'm just going to do some, this God's way. It could be your marriage. It could be how you handle money. It could be your job. It could be forgiving someone. It could be how you parent. All those things. Would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. Father, I pray this morning. I pray this morning that it would help us to be a church not that is large and successful, but God, a church that is faithful. And that we would faithfully stand on the Word of God and teach it and call people to it. Because we trust you. We believe these are the very words of God for life. And so God, when the culture around us turns up the heat, God, when we get weary in doing the right thing and standing on the word, God, you would remind us over and over about these truths and that, God, we would stand on them. We would live out of them. God, for people who raised their hands this morning and said, my, my life has become disconnected from the scripture. It may be in their marriage. It may be in how they handle money. It may be in their parenting. It may be in their job. God, help them to come to the place of repentance and to turn away from their own wisdom and live out of the wisdom of the word of God because these are your words. And fathers, we do that. <clears throat> People see our lives. May we give all the glory and all the credit to Jesus Christ.
the one who saves us, the one who sustains us. And so, Father, help us to change the world, not by something new and exciting, but by the old gospel message. Jesus still saves. Help us to live it faithfully. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.